Hey everyone, welcome to Way of Life Podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life Podcast. to another podcast of Way of Life podcast. Uh, it's so awesome to have you here in person or uh, tuning in online for this next interview that we're going to be doing. Um, so just a little bit about Way of Life podcast. We see that uh, everyone picks a way of life. Um, and we actually believe that the way of life that you pick is, is actually really important. Um, so this is why we, we ask lots of big questions. We cover lots of different topics um, about the Bible in particular, about God and about life, about theology and many, many other things. Um, so tonight, um, I really encourage you guys to, to wrestle with the topic that we've got at hand tonight. We're going to be exploring the Bible, all things Bible, and kind of origins. Can we trust it? All that type of thing. Um, and tonight, we've got Michael Bird or Mike Bird. I don't know which one he likes more, but I think it's Mike. Um, so it is good. Any, anything but Mick. Mick. I don't like being called Mick. Okay. <laughs> nothing, nothing good rhymes with Mick. No, no it does not. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Mike, I was about to say <laughs> Mick, anyway, Mike is the Academic Dean, uh, Head of Postgraduate Studies and a lecturer in Theology at Ridley College in Melbourne. Uh, he has written a wide on a wide variety of topics. Um, you're a bit of a writing machine. Um, and he's, he wrote the textbook for theology that I did for my whole degree, pretty much all my theology uh, classes that we did. It's evangelical theology. Um, he's, uh, a lot of Bible colleges use that now. He's also co-wrote uh, the New Testament in its world, which is with N.T. Wright. He's quite a prominent uh, theologian now and heaps, heaps more. So me and Mike, we, I, I met him uh, probably about four-ish years ago. I went to one of his intensives because he used to be at the college. He used to be a lecturer at the college that I was at. Um, and uh, yeah, so he came up for an intensive in apologetics as well. Um, so Mike, it's awesome to have you. How are you going down there in uh, not so sunny Melbourne? It's not too bad. It's not too bad. The uh, coffee is better, I'm told. Uh, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I'm okay. told the coffee is better down here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's a little, summer's a bit cooler. Summer's a bit cooler. But I definitely always uh, love connecting with my uh, Brisbane and Baptist friends and family. Yeah. Because you have an Anglican background, you're an Anglican minister, or you you were one. <laughs> yeah, well, I am Anglican, but yeah. I started off Baptist. Oh, for, okay. For, for better and for better or worse, uh, <laughs> we'll leave that up to people to decide. Um, so, I really wanted to dive into tonight's topic, and I uh, want to kind of set it up a little bit. So. Um, it kind of seems from my observation that the Bible has uh, used to be kind of the bedrock of our society for quite a long time in terms of uh, common beliefs and morals and even kind of it's uh, uh, kind of what inspired many of our laws that we uh, that we had and what they're based on. And 
But it kind of seems that in my kind of reading of, of history, I'm not like a history buff by any by any means, but that kind of in the last 60-ish years that it's kind of, this has kind of become less and less the case, that this has kind of been the central part or some of the bedrock of our society. And it almost seems that for many, many people that the Bible has actually become irrelevant um, in many ways and maybe even not trusted. Um, so a lot of people might... Um, just kind of don't think it's for them. It's kind of an old book. It's like, why would I read such an old book? It's really hard to read, all that kind of thing. And uh, it's full of contradictions and all these different kinds of things. So I'm hoping to kind of uh, shed some light on, on these kinds of thoughts tonight. So I guess I'd start us off with kind of question you of like, what if you agree with kind of my um, reading of history in that way or where we're at in our cultural moment, but like, how do you think that happened? And do you actually think the Bible is relevant for today? I think the Bible's definitely relevant. The Bible's, uh, I think it's good. And I would go so far as to say that the Bible and Christianity in general have been the driving force in Western civilization and have made it uh, what it is today. Uh, the reason we have things like human rights, mm. the reason why we have things like feminism, the reason we even have gay rights dare I say, is because of the Christian worldview and its architecture is laid out in Scripture. Yeah. And uh, if you think that the Bible is not relevant, then you haven't understood the music of Handel or of Beethoven or of Mozart uh, or the literature of Shakespeare or the politics of pretty much every single uh, period since about the 500s. I mean, you can't even understand jokes on The Simpsons unless you have a <laughs> rudimentary knowledge of the Bible yeah. or the poetry or the poetry of Milton. And we, I mean, we could just go on and on and on. So why do you think that uh, people don't have this kind of knowledge anymore? Well, it's because, well, people don't know the Bible. I mean, you know, when people think of the Bible, they're thinking of something like the Quran uh, or the Book of Mormon. For something, it's foreign, weird, esoteric, and just filled with crazy stuff. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, and if, that, if that's, you know, if that's what, it's, what, what your idea of the Bible is, mm. um, then you're not going to be, you're not going to be uh, uh, interested in it. Uh, if, if you think of it, it's just kind of like a Christian version of the Quran, just yeah. crazy stuff that incites violence, hatred, and oppression. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. There, if that's the if that's the what you've been told or what mm. you've inherited, uh, and that's why one of the most um, subversive and crazy things you can do is ask people to read it. I mean, I keep hoping them. I keep hoping governments will start banning the Bible because then people will start to read it. Yeah. Um, that'll be <laughs> the coolest booth. thing. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we're probably probably a bit further along that track down here in Victoria. Yeah. If there's any state that's going to ban the Bible, it will be Victoria. Yeah. I, I say yes. Um, Bible colleges will become sexy again. We'll become <laughs> we'll become we'll become counter revolutionaries. I mean, I love well, probably revolutionaries. Yeah. You know, I love it definitely. I I would donate to a cause that wants to ban the Bible because you know um, the job I have being a Bible college lecturer would suddenly become really really sexy. This is why I love you, Mike. You've got a sense of humor. It's great. Um, so I why thought you said it's because I was sexy or something. I was going to get really concerned there for a moment. <laughs> no, I don't feel quite that close to you, Mike. Uh, 
Um, so how do you think, uh, being that it wasn't even that long ago that it was kind of the bedrock of much of what we believe, um, how yeah. do you think we got there? Do you have any kind of ideas of how we've gotten to this point where we kind of do see it as almost sometimes oppressive or something that you just waste your time on or equivalent to just another book that's off with the fairies? Well, you can do another uh, whole, a whole um, lecture on this, uh, mm. ranging from the Middle Ages through to modernity, the Second World War. Um, I'll, I'll mention two moments, two particular moments. Since the year 2000, so I'm talking about, you know, within my lifetime, may not be with everyone's lifetime <laughs> who's here tonight, uh, but there has been a big change in attitudes to religion since about the year 2000. When people think of religion now, they think of Islamic terrorism, uh, sex, sexual abuse scandals, mm. Uh, in the churches, and they also think of you know being anti-LGBT. Yeah. Okay. So that, that that's the big, the big three three things you get uh, starting around to um, two thousand. Uh, consequently, in two thousand and seven, there is a big decline in religion in a lot of Western countries, mm. including parts of Western Europe, the United Kingdom, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, which interestingly coincides with the invention of the iPhone. Mm. Um, as people withdraw into their own worlds. And you can go on now and um, watch TikTok videos of people flat out mocking the Bible yeah. and all sorts of things. So I, I, I think we've reached at a, a, high, a hyper moment where we're moving from being, well, I mean, over the course of my life, like I think of like the 70s and 80s, mm. we've gone from being nominally Christian then I think in the 90s and noughties, I think we became kind of like um, post-Christian. Yeah. Now we're heading into an, an, another d d direction which seems to be almost anti-Christian as if Christianity is the number one enemy of the state, what we're mm. struggling about. Yeah. And if only we could eradicate the Christian religion, then we'll all, you know, hold, sit around the, fan, uh, the fire, you know, ri you know, riding unicorns and... <laughs> eating rainbow-flavoured popcorn or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how? what is kind of within the world that we're kind of, you've kind of talked about where it's kind of almost becoming almost anti-Christian and not just post-Christian, um, how would we have, I want to get to some, some of the questions that you've written in one of your books about like about the Bible and kind of mm -hmm. seven different, um, seven things um, about it, but... I, how do you think we go about talking with other people about the Bible when it's something, when people's attitudes are actually this way? You've got to remember you're talking to people who have absolutely, in many cases, in many cases, who have absolutely no idea of what Christianity is about, mm. what the Bible is about, who may not even know any Christians. Mm. And everything they know about, like, I mean, for me, I mean, I grew up in an unchristian home. Growing up, everything I knew about Christianity, I learned from Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. <laughs> How did okay, you that's mean? yeah, that's that's pretty much, and that has that has not improved. That yeah. is not improved. You're far less like kids are far more less likely to have um, Christian friends or Christian teachers mm. at a uh, at a public school. Now, if you go to a Christian school, it's going to be you know very very different. Yeah, uh, but if you're just out in the general public, mm. you can't assume you're dealing with people who have any contact or any knowledge of Christianity. So you're, you're really starting from a low base. Yeah. 
And uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be different how you, how you end up. But if someone says, oh, you're in ministry or, oh, you attend a church, like, you know, why on earth would you do that? Yeah. Or if people say, oh, well, you know, the Bible is all X. I mean, you know, uh, you know I, I ask people, well, have you, have you read the Bible or any of it? I mean, have you even read, read the Gospels? Mm. And um, normally the answer is no. And what I say is, well, hey, look, I'm very happy to hear all of your criticisms and complaints, but the... Uh, the, the price of admission is you got to know what you're talking about. Yeah. So um, why don't you read the Gospel of Luke mm. and get back to me? Yeah. I mean, read. I mean, uh, you could say read at Luke and Acts, which is yeah, kind of yeah. like the New Testament in miniature. It's like you know Jesus and the apostles. Yeah. And it's 28 percent of the New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, read read Luke Acts and get back to me. Let me know what your problem is. That's a really and, good point. And you know, then then you can then you can have some good conversations. Um, yep. Like if you think the Bible is anti-social justice, I mean, go to Luke four and Jesus's Nazareth sermon. Mm. Okay. Uh, if you think Christianity is you know anti-women, then look at the infancy narratives of the Gospel of Luke. Look mm. at the prominent women in the early church or yep. whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, go through that, and that's and that's a good starting point. And normally people. May not may not retreat from some of their trenchant criticisms, mm. but their eyes will be opened, and some of those prejudices, some of those presuppositions, will start to be um, scaled down, or yeah. in some cases, ideally, will even collapse. Yeah. Now that's a really good point. Just yeah, offering just to read the actual Bible because often you are right. Often when I've run into those kinds of criticisms, that most of the time it's just kind of a part of the cultural imaginary it's just something they picked up and that's what they think but they've never really thought about it or read the bible themselves and that's exactly because you're 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 attacked they people could be tanking a caricature Mm. or a straw man or really that to be honest they're really doing just they're just reiterating some of the internet memes they've seen yeah okay literally or or some crazy tiktok video or or (laughs) or a youtube reel or something yeah well I thought it'd be good to talk about your book, uh, Seven Things I Wish People Knew About the Bible, because that goes through quite a lot of questions that often people have. Like I found that a lot of Christians have these questions as well. Um, If not, a lot of people um, that don't know the Lord or kind of know very little about the Bible. Um, But I kind of wanted to uh, hear kind of what was your heart in in writing this and kind of, it's fairly obvious from the title, but what is it about? I wonder if you could expand upon it a little. Yeah, the book is called Seven Things About the Bible I Wish All Christians Knew. And I'm basically dealing with two sorts of audiences. I'm dealing with the skeptical audience that Christians may come across where someone says, oh, like the Bible was like totally invented by Constantine in the fourth century. Didn't you know they made it all up later and tried to sell Jesus as divine even though he wasn't? Um, And most Christians don't know how the the Bible came to be. I mean, how Mm. do you get from... The, um, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. Um, how do we get this book with four Gospels, Paul's Epistles, Catholic Letters and Revelation? I mean, how do you get from A to B? Mm. So I kind of give a, a summary of how the Bible came to be and then how it came to be in English. Mm. Uh, the other thing I'm dealing with are uh, Christians who want to, who want to like, well, you know, how do we interpret the Bible? I mean, what do we do with some of the difficult things in the Bible? Mm. Um you know, what does it mean? I mean, when we say the Bible is inspired, what does that mean? Or if we mm. talk about the Bible as infallible or inerrant or, you know, or to what extent is the Bible truthful? Is the Bible truthful only in religious matters? 
Does it pertain to history? Mm. Um, should I use it as a manual in neurobiology? You know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. how how is the Bible true or how is the Bible not untrue Yeah, would be a better way. And so I, I deal with the thing and what's the purpose of the Bible? What, it's, what, what role is it meant to have in the Christian life and yeah. in the church generally? Yeah, that's really cool. I've found like so far I'm almost at the end of it, but it's a really, really good read. But I thought it'd be really cool to get um, just to kind of tease out some of those things that you just brought up that you've written in the book. So really broad question, but um, just go for it as much as you want. But how was the Bible put together? Because I get, I've get i had people kind of say about the Constantine. I've even heard that like, um, I think it's like uh, King James, um, like yeah. <laughs> put it, he had like he put it all together and like there's a lot of different ideas out there about oh yeah i mean i remember i was at a party and i told a guy i was like you know doing a phd in the bible and he said oh i thought the dead sea scrolls disproved all that stuff (laughs) i go well man well well, i think you know i don't think you know what the bible is all the dead seas what the dead sea scrolls are yeah (laughs) um well basically for the new testament it, it goes like this okay so jesus and then the early church their bible is pretty much the hebrew bible or what you know what we call the old testament yeah so the old testament in hebrew uh, but then, the, but then the Old Testament also gets translated into Greek. Yeah. Okay, and we, we generally call that the Septuagint. Yeah. So as Christianity spreads out of Judea uh, and into places like Syria, Turkey, Greece, Italy, North Africa, mm. um, generally, generally the the Bible that people are using is the Greek Old Testament or yeah. the Septuagint. Uh, at the same time. Uh, Christians develop their own very rich and active literary culture. I mean, they, they write letters to each other. They, mm. they you know, share all sorts of communications. Yeah. And that's where you get Paul writing his letters or you get the letter of James or the you know, letters of Peter and the letters of John. So you get Christians writing to each other. Mm. But then around the same time that the first generation is dying off and Jesus is not returned yet, uh, people are beginning to write a biography of Jesus. Now, we th- we're fairly confident the first one to be written was the Gospel of Mark, yeah. short, sharp, sweet, to the point, which then provided something of a template that was followed by Matthew and Luke and then John, who I think may know of Mark. Uh, he may know of Luke. Uh, he seems to do his own sort of, you know, independent thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you get the these Gospels written from about 70 to about 100 A.D., mm. And then you get a few other things around the same time. You get the, the revelation of John. Uh, what becomes, uh, what happens very quickly is people collect the four gospels and they kind of become like a like a book in their own right. Yep. Uh, Paul's letters seem to become a bit of a compilation. And then there's a few other, you know, a few other things floating around yep. to like the Book of Acts combined with the, what we call the Catholic or the general epistles. Yeah. Uh, certainly by the time you get to the end of the second century. Mm. Okay. Uh, it's very clear that the four Gospels, Paul's letters plus Hebrews, First John and First Peter, they seem to be very widely acknowledged. Everyone's saying, you know, these are basically the books that kind of sum up what our religion is about. Yeah, okay. sum up what we believe in Jesus. Yep. These are the ones we tend to use in our worship when we meet. And if you go from Spain to Syria, and if you have a Gospel of Matthew with you. Uh, the odds are people are going to know what you're talking about. So if you you know went from Syria to Spain and said, "Hey, have you heard about the Gospel of Matthew?" They'd say, "Oh, you like totally. Yeah, it's like my <laughs> favoriteest gospel ever." Um, 
you would find find that going on. Uh, and then there's a few other writings where people kind of look at the book of Revelation and like many, like many of us go, well, gosh, that's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, what's going on there? <laughs> uh, but generally, I mean, despite some questions people had, um, uh, the book of Revelation sort of was, was widely regarded. And then there's a few mm. other books that people thought were really good and thought maybe should be in the the biblical canon or the the list of official Christian literature, yeah. like First Clement. Uh, Clement was a Christian leader at the end of the first century. Mm. He wrote some letters from Rome, a letter from Rome to the church in Corinth. Mm. There was a writing called the Didache, which is like a discipleship manual that came out of Syria. Uh, an ex-slave wrote a uh, a very uh, big work called the Shepherd of Hamas, uh, which is based on you know revelations or mm. prophecy. Yeah. Um, in the early second century. And some people thought, hey, these writings are pretty cool too. But generally writings were included if they were written by an apostle, an apostolic associate, if they accorded with the apostolic faith of the church and if they met with wide consensus. Yeah. And eventually people start making lists of which books they think are the best. And certainly by the late third, early fourth century, it seems to have been crystallized what we call the New Testament. Yeah, okay. So do you think, just to kind of clear up some things that uh, I've heard from people, but like how did Constantine come into play here? Did he kind of have any bad influence on how it kind of got canonized? No, he had, he, no I mean, pretty much the Bible's in place before Constantine comes on the scene. Yeah. So the idea that he invented the Bible um, is about like you know, 250 years too late. Yeah. Um, for him to do that. Now, he does interfere a little bit in church politics. Uh, he likes the idea of uh, him appointing who gets to be the bishop. But Constantine was also the one who ended the persecution and started to provide imperial sponsorship mm. to Christianity. And, I mean, the rise of Constantine was blessing and bane for the church. It was a blessing in the sense that it meant the end of persecution, mm. but it was a bit of a, a, a bane because it now meant there was going to be a somewhat um, unholy marriage. Mm between uh, Christianity and earthly political powers, yeah. which, you know, um, which continues to this day in various ways. I mean, the Church of England is the official church of the country of England and bishops are appointed by the crown. Yeah. Uh, but then again, you also look at the, um, the Orthodox Church in Russia right now who are saying, you know, Putin's invasion of Russia is doing the work of the Lord. So there's uh, a lot of dangers when you... Um, entangle uh, uh, church and state together uh, might seem very benign in England, yep. but it can become um, quite um, quite terrible and, and uh, nasty somewhere like Russia. But they, that's, well, Baptists have traditionally believed in separation of church and state. That's been one of their denominational distinctives. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So how did, how do we know that we have the right amount of books in our Bible that like some of those other books that you talked about. I know how you yeah. talked about how kind of people recognize certain ones and didn't recognize others, but how do we know yeah. at the end of the day that this is the right one? Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the question I love asking my students is how do you know which book should be in the Bible? Because when the Bible is given, um, it's not given with a table of contents and the apostles did not, or the early church did not go around with a kind of like, you know, with a uh, iPhone with an inspiration meter or app and go like, you know, you get, you get to Paul's third to the Romans, it goes, do, 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 it says inspired. And you get to something like the, you know, the gospel of Thomas, uh, which is like a somewhat um, esoteric 
um, gospel uh, yes. with some dodgy views of yeah. Jesus and the inspiration <laughs> meter doesn't go blomp, 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 blomp to tell you um, it's not inspired or, yeah. or not canonical. <laughs> uh, what we have to see here is um, God's inspiration of uh, the authors to produce the text, but then you have God's providence mm. working through the church to put the word of God in its canonical location, okay? And this is where I, I like to use the language of God's sanctification of creaturely processes. In other words, God is working through the decisions, the debates, the councils, the things that are happening in mm. the church yeah. uh, in order to, to bring the to put the word of God in its canonical location. I mean, the, the word of God did not fall out of the sky bound in leather yeah. with the words of Jesus in red, complete with Schofield footnotes or ESV um, study Bible <laughs> yeah. maps and charts and everything. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, God's word always comes to and through the church. And uh, just as the Hebrew Bible, it was put together over some, you know, a millennia. Mm. Similarly, the Christian Bible, the New Testament, was put together over the better part of um, two or 300 years. Mm. This isn't part of my questions, but how do you how do you navigate? I guess when before I guess it was canonized or like put together. Um, how do you navigate? Say even the second century for those who didn't have the full Bible, did they miss out on things potentially, or how do you navigate that? I've had that question before. Yeah, well, we've got to, we have to remember a time where there were no printing presses, where mm. you just can't download the Bible. You can't just go down and, um, um, you know, pick up a copy of the Bible at Kurong or something <laughs> like that. You know, you can't do all those sorts of things. Uh, most people are illiterate anyway, so even if they've got it. So uh, the Bible was not their center of their faith, mm. okay? Um, and that, that might be hard for us to contend, but they would, they would know the Bible from sermons. Mm. They would know the Bible from, you know, readings in the church. They would know the Bible from their, like, you know, discipleship classes. Like in some places in the early church, yeah. you had to do three years of lectures before you got baptised. Oh, okay, so they took the sort of what we call catechism. So if you think, you know, doing Christianity Explored is a, you know, bit of an inconvenience before you, you know, get baptised, yeah. uh, that is nothing <laughs> compared to what uh, other people had to do. So they, 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 did, they did learn mm. um, the scriptures, but it wasn't in a sort of, you know, um, you know, written word saturated yeah. world. So that they had what's called the fact, and this is the thing, the, the, the Bible is an expression of what they call the regular fidei. That means the rule of faith. Mm. Um, so if you take the basic storyline of Christianity, you know, God made the world, made it good. Um, you know, humanity fell into sin and then God called the patriarchs and then he called Israel and then he sent them a king. And then they fell away from God. They went into exile in Babylon. They came back. God said, I'm going to send you a Messiah. And then and then my promises will also extend to the nations, just as I told Abraham. Yep. And then it all comes on the scene with Jesus, um, death, resurrection. The basic storyline of Scripture is the authority. And the Bible is an authority because it's part of that story. Yep. Okay? Yep. So that's, that, that's what people um, who are illiterate, who don't, I mean, you know, if you're part of some you know, tribe like the Scythians, you know, basically modern-day Ukraine, the Scythians in modern-day Ukraine, who did not have uh, the, the Old Testament or the New Testament in their language. Maybe mm. some of them knew a bit of Greek and yeah. they could, yeah. you know, get parts of it. Uh, but they still um, had a Christian faith 
because it was largely uh, in their possession orally. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is an oral world yeah. where things are handed on orally. People are uh, people pass on sayings. People memorize sermons. People uh, know large parts of you know the scripture because they've heard it over and over. Yeah. So and and things are put into their language. So it's mainly through like an oral culture um, that a lot of this Christianity, this faith, this religion, this testimony is being disseminated mm. to people, you know, both within and then on the, the boundaries and fringes of the Roman Empire. Yeah. Hmm. That's, re- that's really interesting. Um, just, I guess to follow up on that, do you think then, being that it was kind of an more orally kind of taught and people knew it that way and it wasn't so much kind of studied in the same way perhaps like we do nowadays and being someone that like yourself who writes a lot of books who, who knows the bible seemingly inside and out um like do you think there's do you think we're actually meant to kind of really take it so um i guess literally or are we meant to study it as much as we kind of do in i guess western society um could you just repeat the question again? I'm so my, my, my no, right. brain got distracted. <laughs> you're okay. Do you think, being that it's kind of like was like an oral oral type tradition type thing, and people learnt it from hearing rather than kind of having their own printed Bible, like you were saying, and they didn't quite study it every single day and kind of look for all the nuances of everything, like kind of we do now. Do you think we're actually meant to do it that way in our modern day? Because we, we spend a lot of time, like we have Bible colleges, we, we're encouraged yeah. to know it inside and out, and we're com- uh, to compare different tech, um, texts from different books of the Bible on different topics and so forth. Like, do you think that's part of what we're actually meant to do in the Bible? Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what's really interesting is when you read the Apostle Paul, his letters, you get to somewhere like Romans 9 to 11, okay, where he's talking about Israel in the past, Israel in the present, Israel in the future. Hmm. It's incredibly dense. But the whole thing is completely stacked with quotations from the Old Testament. I mean, it's, I mean, it is dense. It's, it's yeah. kind of almost like one thing uh, Paul's pulling. Now, I don't think Paul is walking around with his kind of, you know, um, reader's edition of the entire Old Testament in yeah. Greek, yeah. okay? I think, I think the dude's, dude's quoting the stuff from memory. Mm. And, you know, the best place to carry your Bible is around inside your head. Okay, that's the best place. That's the best place to carry it, and you know, you know, the, and the more you've memorized it, and the more you're just exposed to it, mm. um, you know, the, the the more natural its its wording, its language is is going to be. Now that might be, you know, um, you know, in um, in almost any um, in any translation, you know, maybe for you if you're a bit older, maybe the old King James, maybe mm. you like the 1984 NIV, maybe you like your ESV, or you know, maybe even something contemporary like the Message. But I, I do think you know we are meant to carry the Bible around us in our heads. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's I mean, there's all sorts of ways. I mean, there's you know, there's a whole bunch of you know the Bible in audio. I mean, you can get it with like special effects and <laughs> you can get these, you know, really cool voices like, you know, like Morgan Freeman yeah. or, um, or David Suchet, you know, reading yeah. the Bible to you. I have that one. There are some pretty awesome, you know, um, you know, Bible. I mean, I can, I mean, I've, I've got an app so I can listen to the new Testament in Greek 
And I, I mean, I find that pretty awesome. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to get awesome. to that level Goodness of familiarity me. with it. But you know, hey, I'm, I'm a professional Bible nerd, so I kind of do this for a living. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that, that's. I do think we are meant to really imbibe it and absorb it, mm. and that should be a, a big part of our discipleship. Yeah. A big part of our uh, learning. I remember seeing John Piper do a sermon where he just quoted huge slabs of scripture mm. um you know he'd be in romans he jumped to hebrews then he'd be in first john then revelation yeah um i really i really do think that is that is a good thing to do mm. yeah cool um that's good so i there's a burning question that a lot of people have when i particularly when i talk to young people about the inspiration of scripture um it's it's a hard concept to, to think that it's inspired by god but written by man that type mm. of idea um and and people can really struggle with it um and i was kind of wanting to hear what does it even mean um when they say when people say that it's the inspired word of god that it isn't just written by paul but it's actually something something else happened whilst it was being written yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of ideas. What do ins- does inspired mean? So for some people, they can take the word a little bit too literally. Like Matthew was sitting by the Sea of Galilee and he could feel the serenity. He could feel the <laughs> peace. And so he wrote, you know, I think Jesus would want us to have peace. I mean, you know, it feels so peaceful here on the in the hills of Galilee. I'm going to say, blessed are the peacemakers because I think Jesus would want peace. Mm. So, I mean, you've got kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then you've got the opposite view um, who think that basically Matthew sat at his desk and he went into some sort of ecstatic trance, his eyes rolled back in his head, and then he started in this trance, he started writing, and when he woke up, um, he had the Gospel of Matthew in front of him, you Whoa. know, as, as, as if it was written in some sort of unconscious fit yeah. and he was purely uh, passive. Uh, I mean, we have to remember that the scripture is both divine and human, and we see a lot of the humanity of scripture. I mean, one of the one of the things I like telling people, um, they often don't like this, but if scripture is, is if everything's dictated, then in the case of the book of Revelation, God needs some remedial grammar lessons because it's it's written in a very rough language. It's yeah. written by someone whose first language is not Greek. Yeah. Okay, so it's a little, a little bit clunky or yeah. imprecise the way it does things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you also got some weird phenomena going on. Like, you know, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he says, why, why, why are you all bragging about who you got baptized by? You know, like when I was in Corinth, I, don't, I, I didn't baptize anyone. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I baptized the household of Stephanus. But apart from that, I did not do any baptizing. I mean, yeah. did God inspire Paul to forget and then remember who we baptized yeah. okay so i mean if you if you go for a like you know god inspired every single word that type of a thing mm. you, i mean it leads to some weird phenomena because you've got to deal with the phenomena of the text in front of you mm. so i what I've, we've got to say is you don't want a view of inspiration that's so light as if god is just sort of you know uh, like a butterfly that someone thinks about and makes them write something beautiful language yeah. um, but at the same time you don't want to go something where god basically overpowers the human subject mm. and they're just merely a divine pen in the hand of the holy spirit yeah what i think happens generally uh is is there is what i would call a su- supernatural synapsis in other words sort of God taps into human minds at the conceptual level and guides them to be able to write what God intends using their own language, using their own 
idioms and mm. even using their own idiosyncrasies yeah. to communicate a message that is divine in origin but comes through very human language, yeah. okay? And that's why we can say scripture is uh, divinely inspired and humanly composed. Mm. So how do you navigate, um, I guess, is it either or or both and in a, in a sense? So like certain parts, like you were talking about how Paul's like, I didn't baptize anyone. Oh, hang on. Yeah, I did baptize some people. Like how do we know if that was kind of God inspiration or just Paul? Oh, well, the thing is, it is Paul, okay? It's cl- it clearly is Paul. Mm. But the testimony of the church, the conviction of the church is that the apostles functioned with what we might call a, a particular spiritual unction, okay? okay? Or a spiritual empowering yeah. that carried along their ministry, yeah. both in preaching, te- teaching, founding churches, and the co- composition of certain uh, written documents, which mm. have become found- foundational, uh, for the narrative, the story, the beliefs, and the practice of the Christian church, even 2,000 years later. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm sure some people will have some more questions in the Q&A for that one as well. But kind of on the, on the same kind of topic, if, if the Word of God kind of is inspired and um, I guess God breathed, um, then I, I get this question a lot and I kind of have my own um, thoughts on it, but would love to kind of hear it from you. Then why does it kind of not seem awfully clear on certain topics and clear on others? Well, it, it depends. It depends on, it depends on the topic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to remember what, I mean, <laughs> scripture is not given to be a rule book. It's, it's not like a, a Wikipedia article with a hyperlink, <laughs> um, you know, to every possible scenario. Yeah. It's not, it's not case law. Yeah. Okay, if this happens, do that. And then if this, and then, and then if these, you know, three different options, it's not like that. What God gives us uh, are what we need to be the people of God. So we have a story of creation, okay? We have narratives about Israel. We have poems and prayers and songs in the psalm. We have songs of lament of people complaining and crying to God in the book of Lamentations. Yeah. We have exhortations and warnings in the prophets mm. and similarly we get to the new testament we've got the story of jesus the story of the church yep. we've got paul writing to um people in greek cities how do you be a christian in a pagan world now you know not all of us i mean let's be let's be honest when yeah, you read yeah. the book of galatians i mean how do you make that relevant are there people <laughs> in your churches telling telling the men that they need to get circumcised if they need to follow jesus i mean that there is there is a quite of a distance but many. we've got to kind of appropriate <laughs> that and discern what it means for today, and that's the interpretive task. Okay, so I yeah. think we've we've got got to not want the um, the kind of just tell me what to do or just yeah. tell me what to believe. Yeah, because the because the Bible is for people in different contexts. Okay, and yeah, and what might seem you know relevant at the time, mm. like um, you know women should not have um, short hair or they should wear head coverings. Yeah, some of that I think is cult- culturally situated. Yeah, um, and was for that time. But there are other things which transcend time and space, like love of God and love of neighbor. Yeah, uh, the, the question is how do you figure out yeah. what's uh, <laughs> eternal, enduring, yep. and transcultural, yep. and the stuff that only applies to the local context? Yeah, uh, that's where we can have some big debates and discussions coming up with a criteria for how you do that and that is that can be genuinely difficult and it yeah. requires um requires discernment and wisdom and mm. how to do it well 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was going to be my next question after that. How do you mm. even discern that? Like, what are, would you have any, like, it might be too big of a topic, but would you have kind of criteria that you would use to discern these kinds of things? Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to look if someone's responding to local circumstances. Mm. Um, a good example is like food sacrifice to idols. Now, I'm pretty sure when I go down to Woolies, that, you know, none of the meat I'm going to purchase there has been offered to the goddess Artemis, okay? <laughs> so I don't have any, you know, has this been, off, has this been offered to Artemis? You know, <laughs> I don't need a disclaimer. Yeah. You know, the Christian Council of Australia promises this meat was not dedicated to the goddess Artemis or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's something that's clearly uh, an issue. Okay, let me, let me give it probably the best example. The yeah. best example... Um, in Acts 15, uh, you have what's called the Apostolic Decree, where James and the elders of the Jerusalem Church they listen to Paul, they listen to Barnabas, they say, "Okay, we've heard all the issues. Gentiles do not have to get circumcised to be followers of Jesus. They don't have to be Jewish proselytes. God obviously accepts Gentiles, that's non-Jews, as Gentiles, because as Peter said, you know, they've received the same Spirit as we have. Their hearts have been cleansed by faith. Yep. Okay." But, he, but he's also got some very conservative Jewish Christian friends who are worried that bringing Gentiles into the church uh, is going to bring all that dirty paganism with them. You know, you know, you know what Gentiles are like, you know, <laughs> idol-worshipping, pork sandwich-eating, dirty, defiling so-and-sos. And even if, even if they're keen on Jesus, we're still worried that they're, gonna, they're going to defile the church. So here's what we want you to do. Uh, stay away from idols. Uh, stay away from sexual immorality and don't eat anything with blood in it because, you know, blood's all about the sacrifices and stuff, yeah. so stay away with blood. Now, I've heard people say that that's why you can't have your steak medium um, because you can't eat meat with blood in it, um, to which I would say, well, no, that's not what was going on. Yeah. Uh, the problem was um, the use of um, animals in sacrifice and the way they were sacrificed and how that was handled. Mm. Uh, that was the issue. That yeah. was the issue. So unless, you know, people are offering, you know, food up to a, to an idol before you eat it, then you can, you can have your, you can, you can go down to the local pub and you can have a steak, you know, medium or medium rare. Yeah. Okay. So that's, an, that's an example yeah. of, of something that I think was clearly culturally contingent at yeah. the time. Yeah. But, you know, some of that does can thing, like avoiding idolatry, I definitely think that persists, and avoiding sexual immorality, that yeah. definitely persists and endures because that gets applied in different contexts. Yeah, it's kind of the principles principles behind it for sure. Hmm. Um, I think we've got time for a little bit more. So um, I guess this is a question I, I get a lot, or probably not a question, but what, something that I run into a fair bit. Um, but this idea of being having to take the Bible literally, um, like, are we meant to take the Bible literally? Are there certain parts we should and shouldn't take literally? Like, how, how do you navigate that kind of question? Yeah, I mean, it's the big question about how do you interpret the Bible? And some people say, well, we must have the grammar, grammatical historical method. Uh, we must take it literally. For me, I say, look, the issue is not whether you take the Bible literally or not. The issue is where is taking it seriously. Okay, mm -hmm. and, and that for me, I think, is, is the big thing. Yeah. Um, and, and this can play out differently. I mean, people have some big arguments like how you interpret Genesis 1. Yeah. Should that be taken uh, literally, like, uh, you know, God made the world in, you know, um, 
six literal days. You know, yeah. the word Hebrew word yom means 24 hours and we have all those sorts of arguments. Yeah. Uh, all the way through to certain moral commands. You know, what do you do with the Song of Songs? Do you take that allegorically? Do you take it literally? You yeah. know, that kind of a thing. Um, what I think it helps, you've got to understand a few things. One, you have to understand a little bit of genre. Okay, I think if you understand genres, mm. uh, that can stop a whole bunch of errors. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we deal with genres all the time. Like, you know, the genre of um, a script from your doctor uh, <laughs> is very different from a piece of poetry or from a weather report yeah. or from a novel yeah. or from a yeah. Disney movie, okay? And genre kind of creates a sort of um, set of expectations for readers. Mm. You know, if, if a story begins once upon a time, uh, you're not going to imagine that this is a, a news report. Okay. And if someone says, take, you know, take um, twice a day with water, you're not going to say that this is a kind of a a symbol for, you know, well, what does the water symbolize and what's twice a day? Is that, (laughs) you know, you're not going to have those sorts of things. So if you understand a little bit of genre and how genres work, that's going to help you how to understand whether it's literal or literarily. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, like how yeah. do proverbs work? How do psalms work? How do laments work? How does prophecy yeah. work? What are the expectations I should have as a reader and someone who wants to absorb this? And the dangers can be where we say there's just one interpretive rule and we want to apply that all across um, the whole Bible, yeah. which we know is wrong because Paul himself in Galatians 4, I mean, he's going through the Old Testament. He says literally these things can be taken allegorically. Uh, John writing in the book of Revelation at one point he says these things are of course you know should be taken figuratively and they symbolize things yeah so what we need is not to rush to the literal not kind of treat anything as if it's an esoteric symbol but carefully discern and analyze the genres mm. in their ancient context how we understand them and then we'll have uh, a better chance of interpreting them properly for today yeah no that's really good that's a really good answer to that question um so, Mike, it's been awesome. We're going to go into some Q&A right now in about five minutes' time. Um, so for those of you who are watching in the future, um, if you like this, please share it, like it, go and see Mike Bird's books and all the different things that he does. You can pick up most of his books at Kurong, particularly his new one. I think it's your newest book. You might have another one out since then. I'm not too sure. Um, but Seven Things I Wish Every Christian Knew About the Bible. It's a good read. Um, it expands upon a lot of what we have already done here um highly highly recommend it um but you guys i I should say i should say that that the um the new book comes out tomorrow i've got a new book out like i think it's tomorrow the what's the first of may um tomorrow the first of may or no today's the first came out today. Um, well it's out out today (laughs) uh it's called religious freedom in a secular age which is um, about all the debates we're having about religion, secularism, law, government, um, you know, church-state relationships. Um, So that's that's the newest one I've had come out and that's – that should be uh, hopefully down at Kurong ready for you to um, pick up and see – either now or by the end of the week. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds really interesting. Are you working on anything else, dare I ask? Oh, many of things. Um, Christology, uh, who is Jesus in light of, you know, Greco-Roman religion? I mean, yep. there's a there's a fun one. It's <laughs> a light read. Yep. Yeah, what's, what's the differences between Jesus, Zeus, 
and, you know, a whole bunch of other sort of, you know, weird things in the ancient world. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, thanks, Mike. We'll, um, we'll uh, let these guys have a five-minute break. Um, so make sure you get your questions in on Slido. There uh, should be uh, a slide behind me on that or on you guys online. Um, and we'll take a five-minute break, and you're welcome to get a drink, go to the bathroom, do what you need to do. 